Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Hey, produce people, welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly. As always, I am honored to be here coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Today is November 14th, 2022, everyone. Last week was my son's birthday. He turned 11, and I do not know where the time is going. He loves fresh produce, he loves anime, and he loves playing video games as well as playing sports. So hopefully he's growing up in a world full of fun. As crazy as it is, we are having a good time celebrating his 11th birthday. And you might be wondering what we did. Well, we rented out a whole theater room at AMC, and we went and saw Black Adam with all of his friends. We had the theater to ourselves. We were loud. We were throwing popcorn and having an overall blast. Well, let's get into produce, everyone. Our featured guest of today is Matthew Kohlmeyer. Now, he is the owner-operator of La Peruga, and this is an oil company, everyone. We're going to learn a little bit about added value in different oils, olive oils, different pecan oils. What are you thinking when you think of oil for cooking? Well, guess what? Matthew's going to dig into this and we are going to learn more about added value oils, what to use. Heck, I'm using pecan oil now, grapeseed oil, and all because of this interview, I'm learning more about what I'm putting in my food. We are three days from heading out to the Trek to Pico Duarte in the Dominican Republic, everyone. So get ready for some footage, some fun, and a hike that will be set to break the record, everyone. We're going to have fun with Continental Fresh and Blue Missions. So let's get this episode started talking with Matthew Kohlmeyer. Hey, Matthew, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks, Patrick, for having me. Wonderful to have you. You know, first, you know, Natalie reached out to me a few months ago. Jesus, it must have been more than that. You were on a friend of ours podcast, the Nuss Brothers, which are good friends of mine. I actually worked with Tim Nuss over the years when we were at C.H. Robinson working on Citrus and some fun things. So glad to be connected and glad that you are all around in the produce industry, my friend. Well, good. Thanks for having me. It's cool to talk to you guys. Yeah. And we're here to learn from you. You know, the, the purpose of this show is knowledge, education, learn from subject matter experts that we traditionally wouldn't be able to talk to, right? You know, you know how the world goes within the produce and supply chain. You might be a speaker at an event. You don't have time to connect with all those three, 4,000 people that are there. So obviously we brought you on because we see the value of your organization. And we definitely want to talk about that because we've got some fun interactive questions. And I'm going to let you take the board here. Talk about, you know, give this 30,000 foot overview of La Terengo of what you guys are doing, how you're doing it, and why you jumped into this space in the produce and supply chain industry. Sure, that's great. Well, Naturangel is our company and we make uh, cooking oils. <laughs> Sounds not the most exciting thing, but actually it's really cool. We make specialty oils. And so we are based in California and we turn walnuts, pistachio, hazelnuts, almonds, all kinds of different nuts and seeds into oils. And not only do we extract the oil to get the else properties, but also the flavor. So it's been a really growing industry in the last 30 years. You know, folks have discovered olive oil big time and now folks are discovering sesame oil and avocado oil and grapeseed oil and you know you got a bunch of specialty oils and so so that's what we do our brand Latourangia we launched about 20 years ago and now we're sold in most stores in America from your you know all foods market fairly high-end stores to Walmart and essentially now folks are looking for specialty oils everywhere and so we're happy to do that and 
you know, what makes us pretty special is that we actually make what we sell. And so we, we get, you know, pretty involved in the produce industry as we have to buy a lot of these nuts and seeds and, you know, try to leverage the power of our brand to push better agriculture if possible. A little added value, it seems here. You know, I'm going to tell you a little story, you know, let's talk about pecan oil. I, I know you said that you, you already mentioned it. So I just had my first pecan oil. I was on a trip from Tampa to Nashville, Matthew, and we stopped, you know, along the way, we had like 13 stops to Nashville and we stopped by Stephanie Stuckey's pecan candy plant. And it was amazing. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Okay. So we start walking through, we go to the gift shop. And what do you think they have in there? Pecan oil. And, you know, I've got avocado oil. I've got avocado butter. I've got all these different things. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. Right, Matthew? Because it's something new, right? So I get this. I bring it home. We've been home for two weeks from Nashville and the bottle is completely gone. I've used it. It's completely gone. And my wife was like, you were supposed to savor that. You're only supposed to use a little bit. What have you been cooking with? I was like, I've been using it with everything. Everything. You know what I mean? It's like, I took it and I just said, let's try it with all of our meals. Let's see what kind of difference it tastes. You know, traditionally we use like the virgin, you know, olive oil and, you know, it just something new, right? I've switched to avocado oil. Now I pecan oil and it tastes pretty good. Absolutely. No, oils are very interesting. I mean, they have great benefits. And, you know, for folks in the industry, it's also quite often in California, for example, it's a great way for guys shelling nuts, for example, to to find a a good home for some of the products that may not look that great. Because, you know, we're going to take these nuts and we're going to crush them anyway. So if if they don't look perfect, it's okay with us. So, So, you know, there is a lot of people talk about upcycling, you know, being great for the environment. Well, you're really it's very much about upcycling. So maybe we, if we make pecan oil, we don't need to use the gorgeous, you know, kernel that looks fantastic that folks are going to put on top of the cake. We can use the, the nibs and the weirds, you know, the ones that don't look so great. For avocados, it's a bit the same too. We essentially take, you know, the small avocados that just, you know, they don't really fit well in the supermarket shelves. That's what we're going to use and extract the oil. And then there are different ways. You can roast the nuts to get the flavor out. You can use centrifuge to extract the avocado oil. And then you have different grades. So it's kind of a fascinating small industry. And it's, it's, it's really nice because it gives us a chance to you know discover a lot of different supply chains to make this delicious product. And what I like about this is that you're giving, I guess, the consumer out there and the consumer, if you're listening, giving you the opportunity to choose, right? Giving you the opportunity. If you like avocados like me, I mean, using avocado oil and avocado butter. But let's back this up a little bit. You know, when you think about the products, the supply chain, why and how are you, did you just, were you just like, you know what? We're doing cooking oils, everyone. Or was there something behind that? Did you have a passion towards a certain type of cooking or were you fed up with using normal butter? What made you get into this? Because I I mean, I didn't even start getting into using oil probably maybe the last five to six years before it was like, you get your, you know, you laugh, right? You get your country crock butter, right? The big butter, or you get your bars and you just slab that butter inside the pan or with any meal. It's like, there was no substitute. You know what I mean? So why'd you get into it? Why did you figure this was the added value product that you wanted to represent? Well, I got into it thanks to my father, actually, because, you know, I basically, I grew up to be an entrepreneur. I really wanted to, I was fascinated by business and, you know, the impact you could have through, through entrepreneurship. And so that's what I knew I wanted to do. And then my father was in the oil industry and, 
Yeah, basically, this nut oil company in France does the name Lateranger, which is a French name. And he was making walnut oil and different types of specialty nut oils. And what I discovered through his product that basically this story was not being told. You had a fantastic and authentic product that was delicious, that was healthy, and yet was really not well known. And that's kind of the dream of an entrepreneur. When you find a product that is, you don't have to create a story. The story is there, is real, is good. And it's really just waiting for someone to, you know, pick up the thing and just, you know, broadcast to the world what's really cool about it. And so I started doing that for the wallet oil you was making. And then next thing you know, I discovered I could do the same for so many different products. And quite often you find folks who are really into production of their small product. They you know, they're just so passionate, but they don't really know how to go to market. And so essentially that's what we did. And that's how I grew. And then it gives you a lot of purpose because this product, you basically transform food and food is so inspirational and it's it has such a big impact on people's life, but also on the farmer's life. So for example, recently we, you know, I discovered the concept of regenerative, uh, regenerative agriculture and the fact that agriculture could be really a force for good. It's already a force for good, but could do even better by you know, trying to capture CO2 into the ground, by trying to be more resilient to climate change. We were talking earlier about the hurricanes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a reality we have to face and so agriculture is adjusting, but it's super awesome to be a food maker and be able to say, reach out to farmers and be like, guys, you do some great stuff Let's partner. Let me create some marketing attributes where I can go to the market and say, you know what? Consumers really care, but it's our role as a brand to, to essentially market what you guys are doing. So, you know, we partnered with this Northern California where we're located. And I mean, you just you just want to spend hours with these dudes. I mean, it's awesome. They tell you the story of how they've been, you know, pioneering organic production. And then they're trying to do all these better things in the way they farm, really trying to be innovative and taking chances, really. And then you say, you know what? Let me take this. Why don't you grow this? sunflower seeds why don't you grow these flax seeds why don't you do all this stuff for us and then we'll crush it and then we'll put it in a tin can under the turn gel brand and we're going to tell the story of how you make it and what's really great is that you have lots of large supermarket chains in the us today who are very receptive to this type of things because they have their own esg or their own like you know goals of sustainability and so they want to help and so essentially we you know anyway so long story short as you can hear it i'm pretty passionate about what we do and it's not very difficult to be i tell you that oh i mean i like it i mean looking at your website too i mean from the cooking oils the flavored oils and even your gourmet pantry right i mean these are all everyday items that you're gonna use right i mean if you don't, you're using some type of substitute with it, right? So, I mean, just going through avocado oils, olive oils, sunflower oils, coconut oils, peanut oils, canola oils. I mean, like I said, nut oils, seed oils, truffle oils, infused oils. I mean, you definitely have a line. It's not just one product, one oil. It's a, I would say a catalog of products. And I think that's what's so interesting, Matthew, is the process is what you talked about. What I've been doing lately is I've been traveling around the United States. If you have seen my LinkedIn pages at all. I do a lot of videos when I travel to certain spots and even on my YouTube channel that I will actually go do interviews live and I will walk facilities because the people out there that are listening don't necessarily know how it's made. Have you seen the show How It's Made yet, Matthew? It's, I mean, it's yeah, a great absolutely. show. And yes. that's where I think people want to know how this is made. How do you do it? Like, it's, it's so interesting to see the process 
of creating added value and, and products that are in our home every single day. Go to your cabinet right now, everyone. I'm telling you, you have some type of cooking oil. You do. Am I right, Matthew? Absolutely. Yeah. You have to. And and again, it looks like here, I mean, let's talk about the, because obviously there's there's allergies when it comes to peanuts and things like that. You covered that. You've got other oils in there for people, like I said, the avocado, whether it's the olive oil and things like that. So that's kind of what I'm looking at when I see this is the kind of overall uh, roundness. And then, you know, years ago, my dad was in, <laughs> You might, I always say you might laugh because people always are like, oh, really? That's interesting. You know, he started doing almond milk and almond butter, right? And it was so funny because we would laugh and we'd be like, can you, can you get milk out, out of an almond? Right. You know, but once you compress it, right. And he did, he was doing almond milk and almond butter as an added value in Bakersfield, California for years. You might know the facility now that I said Bakersfield, California, but even then, right. It's like, it's, it's funny how one thing can turn into this added value product that we never knew that was kind of there before. Exactly. Yeah. And so we actually started doing some almond butters recently as well, because it's, it's kind of a funny story, but you know, we, the way we make nut oils is by taking the walnuts, for example, or the almonds and by roasting those before we press the oil out. And so when you roast the nuts, you make the flavor come out way stronger and it's, it's very pleasant. This roasted nut flavor. Now it's such a cultural thing in France. We don't use that much nut butter. So I never even thought about it. But then I realized that the way we roast the nuts is very unique. We have this cast iron kettles that we brought from France. There are, you know, the, the heat and the way it's it's roasting is very unique and you get this really nice flavor. And so what we're doing now is we're doing a we call it a French style nut butter, almond butter, which where basically we roast the nuts and it uh, in this cast iron kettle that are so unique and it makes the flavor come out quite nice. So on the packaging, we called it the French roast, kind of like referring to coffee. Um, <laughs> basically, so here it is that now we are into almond butters, but it's really about just, again, just, you know, trying to work on the flavor and making it more interesting by using this specific way of roasting. And it's all California almonds. So it's all local stuff. And it's, it's really delicious. We just introduced the item a few months ago. It's in every old Sprouts stores now. So it's getting good distribution. So getting out there. The the prod, the products are getting out there. What I like about it, and I keep saying what I like, which is obviously I do because I'm learning here, is that the added value. You know, when I met Stephanie Stuckey and we were going through her pecan plant, it, it was interesting because they are a candy producer technically, right? They're making, you know, pecan rolls. They're they're making pecan halves, right? They're making pecan clusters. They're doing added value. They're throwing cinnamon on them. They're doing all types of things to sell pecans. And then the same, there's pecan oil. They send, obviously, any pecans that aren't being used and I would say like fresh or processed, they're making pecan oil out of it. And, and that, like I said, is amazing to me because, you know, having a conversation, you know, probably about a month ago with Michael Chavez, we're working on some food boat bank donations, obviously with Hurricane Ian that hit Florida just about, you know, a month ago. It's one of those things where you start to look at, you know, your outlets and a lot of times that juice outlet, Matthew, is kind of your giveaway, right? It's uh, mm -hmm. okay. We're going to make sure the fancy gets the product. Choice goes here. All right. What do we send into the juice? It's not bad product, just like any almond or pecan that you crush to make oil. They're not bad pieces of fruit. There's no bad apple, everyone, but it serves its purpose, right? And as my dad has been a juice guy his most of his life, pretty much his whole life, he would buy the juice grade oranges to make orange juice. 
I see that as no difference in what you're doing, except with a different commodity. Absolutely. No, you're right. I mean, look, we're, when you make oils, you're essentially, you know, it's usually what, 30 to 40% of the weight. It's You're just taking the juice out. And actually, when you have an extra virgin olive oil, it, it, sometimes, you know, it's almost resemble like really extracting the, you know, the juice from an orange. So you're taking a fresh fruit and you're pressing it. And so it's pretty obvious that the quality of the juice or the olive or the oil, I mean, will be pretty much completely dependent on the quality of what you press. And so that, that's what we, we, we try to work on, getting the best produce. Again, the best doesn't mean that it looks great. It's really more the best is that, well, you don't have too many contaminants, you don't have too much pesticides on it, and then you have you know flavors that come through really nice. And so that, that's what we can work on. So the, for the folks in the produce industry out there, you know, we're always looking for partnerships. So it's, it's, you know, it's great to connect, never hesitate to drop us a line. And I guess for consumers out there as well, you know, know that we're pretty passionate but what we do and that a lot of people ask me like oh well so you are in the oil industry so you know what oil should i use and how do i know if an oil is, is good quality and really it's pretty simple if it tastes good it's usually it's not been fully refined if you have a nice flavor it means that the product is high quality meaning it has good health benefits uh, if it has a color it's the same it, it means that it's not fully refined so essentially i usually recommend you know, try different oils. Don't use always the same so that you get different types of health benefits. And then really just go for flavor. If it tastes good, it's a really good sign. It's going to be a good product. Hey, same with citrus sometimes. I mean, heck, some, I would say almost all the time. You go to like big brands out there, and I'm not going to say who, but you ever notice how that orange juice is, is really acidy and and you know that you're like, I don't want to drink that at 7 a.m. because I'm going to have heartburn until 11 a.m. You know what I mean? Yes. And it is all dependent dependent upon the extractors that you're using, right? Whether it's an FMC extractor or if it's a brown extractor, right? There might be new ones out there since I've you know looked at the extraction game you know in the last you know 10, 15 years, but it does. And then I have a fresh juicer, Matthew, right inside the podcast studio. And the way that that cuts and squeeze, it eliminates the peel oil. People, peel oil will give you heartburn if it's, you know, and, and in an extraction line at some of the big processors, when they extract it, they peel it, right? But you're still getting some of that peel oil inside of your orange juice. So a little bit more acid. And I always laugh and tell people when we're at trade shows, Matthew, I'm like, here, have some orange juice. And they're like, no, no, we're good. You know, I got my coffee. I don't want the acid. And I, you know, we say, did you know you're drinking more acid in your coffee than you will by drinking our glass of orange juice, right? And nine times out of 10, that person will come back and go, you got me. I want to see if it gives me heartburn or not. And I tell them, hey, if it gives you heartburn, next cup of coffee's on me. Guess what? No one's come back and told me they've had heartburn. But it's right. You just said it though. It's about the quality of the product and and what you're doing, right? Yeah, we're, I mean, I mean, there is definitely a, an art in the way of extracting, but I mean, at the end of the day, you're just, the, the oil is going to be the reflection of, of the terroir, of how it's being grown and how, how it's been farmed. We also import oils from all over the world for this reason, because sometimes you can't find the, the, the you know, the local crop that works. To, to me, what's really exciting is about trying to take local crops and trying to transform them. So we're, we're trying to expand into new categories and we're not the biggest guy in town. You know, so, some of these oils, especially the commodity stuff like soybean or canola or sun, you got to do in really large quantity to be competitive. We're, we're, we're playing more in the specialty space where it's going to be more about flavor and health. And there you find lots of ways to, to valorize products. It's a cool industry to play in. It seems like, I mean, processing definitely is another world of its own, but ties into your relationships, what processors you're using, you know, your customer, you know, list and, and who's willing to support you as well. So Matthew, this is a perfect time. We're going to take a quick break. 
We're going to hear from our sponsors. Then when we get back, everyone, get ready because we're going to talk a little bit about innovation. We're going to bring up climate change. We might even talk a little bit about that farm bill, regenerative ag, and some more added value products. So stay tuned and we will be right back. Discover orchard freshness on Amazon Fresh with Arctic Apple Slices. Arctic Apple stays orchard fresh longer than other prepackaged, pre-sliced apples. This means less waste and no more half-eaten apples. Plus, you'll love the undeniable freshly picked flavor. Arctic Apple Slices are available in convenient grab-and-go bags in both Arctic Golden or Arctic Granny varieties in select markets on Amazon Fresh. Packable, snackable, 100% irresistible. In the heat of summer, you're just counting the days until cooler weather and all those fabulous fall flavors. Packed with a refreshing flavor everyone loves, Noble Florida Starburst Pomelos, the largest citrus on earth, and the perfect sweet fall treat you've been waiting for. Perfectly ripe for a limited time. Look to noblecitrus.com on where to purchase your next Noble Florida Starburst Pomelos. Are you ready to enhance your skills? Every day we are tasked to make fast, effective decisions to keep up with the fast-paced produce industry. At AgTools, we take the pressure off of gathering data to help make your day easier and more enjoyable. Connecting the supply chain with AgTools is unique, practical, and easy. Ag tools can be used from multiple angles of the produce industry, from farmers all the way to logistics companies. We call that 360 degree decision making day after day. Visit us at www.agtechtools.com to gain more reliable and relevant data to see more, achieve more. And now, back to our show. Welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast, everyone. It's always great to hear from our sponsors, Dynamite Companies, creating dynamite content for the produce and supply chain industry. Today, we are learning all about cooking oils. That's right, from avocado to sesame seed to canola to virgin. I mean, I am learning so much on how many more oils are out there. We have Matthew on the line today that's helping us understand the world of cooking oil. So Matthew, welcome back. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks thanks for having me. It's a fun episode so far. I'm learning, as I always say, you know, I take notes, you know, when when I'm on a lot of these calls because, you know, I want to be able to further your mission when someone asks me about the podcast, right? Hey, you know, I heard you talking with, you know, Matthew and we talked about, you know, sunflower oil and all these different things. I can at least, you know, have a book of reference to go back and say, you know what? He did mention this, right? Oh, if you, you know, if you hear in the podcast and things like that. So a world of information, but now we're going to switch gears. You know, we talked about the organization. We talked about why we talked about the products, but let's talk about innovation in your space. Talk to me about what you and your organization is doing to create change and innovation for this sector. Absolutely. What's interesting is that cooking oils is a basic thing, you know, like in any kitchen, you'll find oils because it's a commodity. A lot of it is price driven, especially in large kitchen, commercial kitchens. What we see in specialty oils and in cooking oils, essentially it's, 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 it's a great lever that we can activate to make change. So one of the first thing we did, for example, two years ago in partnership with Walmart was actually introducing cooking oil that was going to be non-GMO and expeller pressed. So meaning we don't use chemicals to extract the oil from the seeds. And we put that in a plastic bottle that was made from recycled PET, which sounds super silly and basic, 
But, you know, PET is always sold as a packaging, as a plastic packaging that you can recycle as if it's great. It's true if you do recycle. But sometimes it's actually cheaper to buy virgin PET, so from petroleum, and not actually buy recycled PET. So by saying, you know what, there are so many cooking oil bottles so sold in the US every day. Why don't we have this oil sold in a plastic that is made of a second life of plastic? And so we did that. And here we are on the shelf of Walmart. They were really excited to be there. So we were the first brand to do that in the oil side, which is maybe not a huge breakthrough, but my God, we, there are lots of big bottles being sold every year. So that's something on packaging, but also on farming. In the US alone, you have over 100 million acres of oil seeds being grown every year, mostly soybean, but you also have all kinds of different crops depending where you are in the US. So if you think of it, if you, if you, if you can change or if you can find a way to make the farming of these 100 million acres to be a bit better for the environment, to be a bit less pesticides, you know, to try to have cover crops, a bit less steel, and maybe capture a bit more CO2 into the ground. You can really use cooking oil as, you know, basic as it sounds, as a way to, to, to you know, to fight climate change and to, to, to fight pollution and to basically be on the right side of, you know, of the prime, essentially. And so as a brand, we're trying to support that. So what, three years ago? I was like, okay, I'm hearing about regenerative farming practices. I'm hearing a lot of farmers doing all this great stuff, but I could not find any brand on the shelf who was doing any of that on the oil side. So we, I called this farmer and we said, let's let's do it together. And we introduced the first organic regenerative sunflower oil that is still quite small, but now we're getting distribution in over 2,000 stores. So it's growing in popularity and distribution. And essentially, it's the first time we, there is a cooking oil where on the package and you explain how the seeds were grown and why the farmer is doing better and why we you know maybe the, the consumer wants to pay a small premium and it's going to help make a difference in a sense the, the consumers are voting with their dollars that's all the things we're trying to do at Gel, trying to be part of the solution trying to do to make good food good food for the table but also for the community and the planet essentially because i think when we all cook and when we all feed our family you know we want to make sure that we you know we do the right thing so as a brand that's what we're trying to do and it's driving our innovation and what's nice is that when you do this type of things i've noticed you, you just feel the wind in your in your in your back you you know you're doing the right thing and so we find lots of distribution partners lots of lots of supporters uh, across the industry and across the food world essentially you know what's crazy is in and maybe it's not i hear a little bit of sustainability in there too Am I right or am I wrong? Because I feel like, you know, the way your company is uh, revolving and, you know, reviving these oils, there's also got to be a sustainability aspect to this as well. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being sustainable, I guess it starts by the fact that we're a family business. So, you know, we're about long-term planning. I know lots of folks in the produce industry also in the, you know, farmers, and it's all about long-term planning. You know, it's, you, you plant a crop, it's going to take a few years before you, you make your money back. And so we're very much about that. So just being sustainable means being long-term, being able to, you know, withstand the, what the future is going to bring. And so we believe that's what we are to do. And then when you eat and when you feed yourself, it's kind of the same. I mean, you know, the, the long-term impact of your know, food choices are real. So we're trying to be providing healthy products. And so special toys are, are healthy by definition, most of those. So sustainability is definitely at the, at the center of what we do. You know, so let's move a little bit. You know, we talked about climate change. I'm going to skip climate change for right now because, you know, we did talk a little bit about sustainability, but I really want to, you know, the new farm bill is being, I say produced, 
amended, right? Because, you know, just because a farm bill comes out, you know, there's always amendments to it, right? There's always, you know, what we can do better for it. You know, in, what was it? I think it was September, the IFPA had the Washington conference where all the produce and supply chain industry went up to Washington, lobbied, and the new farm bill was the talk of the town, right? And, you know, I always see, you know, we're going to talk about sustainability and the next generations. I feel like some of these people in Congress aren't worried about the next, you know, 20 years, more or less how they're looking at the next five to 10 years based on the generations that are still in power. You know, give me your thoughts on this new farm bill. And is that, and will that affect you? Or how do you think that it will affect the, you know, produce and supply chain industry if you can? Yes. I mean, look, I think we have to promote organic. Look, I do believe we have to help farmers who want to make the right choice. And I'm not completely aware of all the farm bills and all the details of it. But what I can see, though, is that, you know, the, the latest Inflation Act bill, which gave a bunch, I mean, you're talking billions of dollars that is finally going to regenerative farming. Yeah. It's empowering the USDA to really push and support farmers that want to do the right thing. I mean, our small scale, we we have 20 acres of olive trees around our facility. Okay, so I'm actually also a farmer in a way. I mean, small scale, 20 acres is not much. But here we are. We want to make this orchard organic and regenerative certified. And I don't really know exactly how to go about it by myself. It's not like I have a PhD in freaking like farming. And, yeah. you know, I can go to the USDA now. And actually, they have more money than they had before to help me basically give me a technical advisor that will come in and say, look, if you want to do, if you want to sequester CO2, if you want to do these things right, here is a plan that you can follow. And so that's just a great thing because I think a lot of farmers out there really want to do best. But I mean, look, you know, money is tight. It's tough. You have this long-term investment that you have to pay back. And so I think that's what we want to push. So, I mean, it's a tough balance because, you know, you want productivist agriculture for sure. You want to be feeding a bunch of people. That being said, I think we have to do the right choice. So I'm pretty happy about the direction it's taking. Obviously, it's incredibly political and it's incredibly complicated. So it's a, it's always a, a big thing. And it's true in Europe and in the US everywhere. I mean, when you talk farmers, there are lots of people involved who want to protect what they have. But overall, I'm happy about the direction it's taking. When I see like, what, $8 billion being given to push uh, more sustainability approaches, especially on soil management, I believe it's a great thing because it's absolutely part of the, 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 the solution. And so so I'm really happy about it. Um, we'll see how the execution takes place. You know, it's it's all about execution. Yeah, we will see how it all runs because that's, that's how it is. You know, let's look at it. I'm on the USDA website right now. So if you look at like the 2022 funding overview, under the current law, the 2022 requests for discretionary budget authority to fund programs and operating expenses. And you said it, it's in the billions, baby. $29.9 billion, almost 9% increase of two point or $2.6 billion above 2021. So a definite, I would say, jump in dollars. Now of that $2.6 billion, Matthew, the increase, right? 54% or 1.4 billion are program increases and 46% or 1.2 billion is an elimination of WIC program, women, infant, and children. So that's also, I would say, a problem. I'm not going to get into that because I want to go over this farm bill later down the road. But the request also includes funding for special supplemental nutrition programs for women, infant, and children, rural development, forest service, food safety, research, and 
conservation program. So the funding obviously is, is it is a lot different. They're changing things around. Obviously, as you still hear some of this, WIC, rural development, food safety, research, conservation. I mean, yes, these are all things that the USDA should be funding in and on. Uh, but yeah, it, it is different. I mean, this farm bill covers a lot. I always say, you know, when I talk about, you just said you were a grower, my family comes from, you know, partnering with growers. I work for a family-owned organization as well. And sometimes when I look at these farm bills, it, it it messes with me because I'm always like, where is it for the farmer? Right? Where's the grower that's producing almonds? You know, how are they going to get, you know, these monies? If you're a specialty crop, I don't know if you just saw this, but there was a specialty crop. There was like 15 billion dollars in money that the USDA had to give to specialty crops. They gave all that money to the IFPA to distribute to the industry. Now, what gets me, Matthew, is that if you're not a part of the IFPA, how do you apply for that money? Why did the USDA give special supplemental money for specialty crops to an international organization and the same international organization that is actually a PAC committee in Washington, D.C.? So it's very interesting to me when we see these budgets, when we see this, because a lot of this stems from some of those political action committees that actually might not represent a grower. Yeah, it's true. I mean, look, that's the problem I think of public policy. It's very common. You know, like where you basically have a great intention initially, you know, the funding, everything is perfect on paper. But then when the execution comes around, you know, two thirds of the funding stays in the administration that is supposed to administer their money. So <laughs> it's, a, it's definitely a challenge. So really about public policy and having the best uh, training possible for the folks who are supposed to <laughs> deliver the money. We're supposed but, to do what's right for the food and the people. And sometimes I think politics or as what would we say, plain politics can really hurt you know, an industry more doing what's right. You know what I mean? And and I always say, if you're if you go to Congress and you go up there, listen, I treat the janitor the same as I would treat the president, right? The same level of respect. But don't think that when we're talking about our agriculture, our land, and you're a senator or you're a congressman, don't think you might not get the wrath of a of a farmer or a produce company or a, or someone like you, Matthew, that's you know looking for innovation, looking for change you know, and is in this every single day. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. That was a little, that was a little much everyone. I know you're probably like, dang guys, slow (laughs) your roll, calm down a little bit. But I also think that's a very good topic and we're going to have another podcast. that's just going to cover the farm bill and we're going to talk about that, how it's going to help growers and and things like that. But moving towards, as we uh, get ready to wrap this episode up, let's talk about, uh, you know, as you move to the future, you know, what can we expect from the organization? What can we expect from yourself? And, you know, like I said, as I always say, when we're out looking and we're like, Hey, yes, this is, finally came out. Talk to us about what's in the field and on the horizon. Yeah, so I mean, you know, our our, our impact is is small. We're we're a small family business, so it's not like we're going to be uh, starting the, the the new huge thing. But that being said, uh, our goal is to promote more regenerative farming and essentially try to engage with our supply chain to to make improvements to to our existing products and to to the oils. So as mentioned, next year we're going to be producing organic regenerative flaxseed oil to make this you know flax oil is super rich in omega three. So that's going to be something we're going to be doing. So we're going to be having a, a bunch of acres of flax oil in California 
California that is going to start to grow for us. Overall, we also introduced a line of organic salad dressings, which may, may sound a bit commonplace, but that being said, the dressings are a great place to discover specialty oils. And so we feel that by, so we're launching a new walnut oil dressing. Uh, you know, walnut oil is a product that is not very well known. Folks don't really know how to use it sometimes. Where it is, if you do a walnut oil dressing that is pre-made, I tell you, it's delicious. It's super rich in omega-3. It's really good for you. And so we're going to be introducing a few of these new dressings too. So we have a line of organic dressings. Uh, and then we're also making mayonnaise, which again, a very basic commodity. But when you make a mayonnaise the French way, we're using best quality oils, I tell you, it tastes delicious. And so we introduced a line in Europe last year. And uh, next year, we'll be introducing a line of uh, mayonnaise, French style mayonnaise under the Latron gel brand that is going to get to the shelf. Yeah, we have a good innovation pipeline coming down the, for the future. We've got a few things in the pipeline, and that's what I love to hear. It's not just about today. It's about tomorrow. It's about leading generations to create brands and a legacy to keep this farming community, you know, I would say fun, interactive. Because a potato is a potato, right? A pecan's a pecan. We don't really have anything flashy out there, right? We got fruit. It's an emotional experience. Vegetables that go in your mouth, right? You know, we plant things, we watch them grow. So, you know, this industry needs to be kept alive by innovation and by change. And people like yourself that, that are keep fighting, you know, for the farmer, for the grower, and for the future. So, Matthew, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Anybody wants to get a hold of yourself or the organization, how can they go about doing that? Well, they can go on our website, letterangel.com, or go check out our LinkedIn profile. Matthew Colmier is my first name and last name. <laughs> and actually, so yeah, I'm easily, I'm always easy to reach out through LinkedIn. It's pretty darn simple these days to, to get in touch. I'm happy to connect. Actually, we have another big innovation pro project. We're just launching this new way of refining oils where we're going to be using molecular distillation. Essentially, we're capturing the sun energy, turning that into this electricity that is activated in this massive vacuum pump. And we're basically cleaning the oils in a very unique way. We have some new technology happening at our company as well, uh, giving us the ability to remove contaminants, but also concentrate some of the very unique antioxidant that you could find in some of these oils. So there could be really exciting projects for the produce industry, you know, extracting some really special oils from different types of nuts and seeds and concentrating the nutrients in the oil using our new technology. So that would be another, it's a pretty exciting development for us as well. I love it. Well, there could be a future podcast when the products come out, maybe a live taste test to see them as well. Absolutely. Matthew, I appreciate you coming on the show. And as we say, we'll see you in the fields and on the horizon. Cool. Thanks, Patrick. Have a great one. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Produce Industry Podcast. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.